Well, the Mauritians had asked us if we would uh, focus a bit on conflict tonight, uh, since that seems to be a significant part of marriage. And uh, it really uh, sort of dovetails in to what Dave was talking about. And uh, we will we'll see some, some crossover uh, in that. Um, but we're all familiar with uh, Joshua's closing words toward the end of his life and the challenges that he was putting out to the Israelites. He says, Now fear the Lord and serve Him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your forefathers. Your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt. And serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. But, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so it really comes down to choices that we have to make. And the kind of marriage that we have really comes down to choices. And I want to give you some quotes here in terms of choices that I think that are very true. One is, there may be a thousand little choices a day, and all of them count. And then, manage your choices, and manage your life. And you manage your life. And thirdly, learning what to choose and how to choose may be the most important education you will ever receive. You understand the importance of what we're saying here? The choices that we make are critically important. The kind of marriage that you're sitting there with tonight is really a result of the choices that you and your mate have made. And usually they're not huge monumental choices. They're choices, they're little choices that you make every day. But, and this final quote sort of says it all, the end result of your life here on earth will always be the sum total of the choices you made while you're here. And the quality of the marriage you have tonight is really a sum total of the choices that the two of you have made. And so, choose for yourself today what kind of marriage you're going to have. And really, that should give all of us hope, shouldn't it? Because it really is saying it's not out of our control. It's saying we can choose to have the kind of marriage, first of all, that God wants us to have, but that we all want to have. You know the kind of marriage that God wants us to have is the same thing as that we want? They're the same thing. And so, we want to talk about four different points tonight. The first of all is choose to honor God in your marriage. Because we understand none of this works without God. God made the brain, God made the marriage, God made everything that we have, and so if we're not doing it God's way, it only makes sense that it's not going to work. We read in Malachi, whoops, 
I also just had to throw some pictures in here. I love it. I've always loved this picture because to me it's about Gloria looking up to God and Stacy looking up to Gloria. This is just the way it works, isn't it? Because this is, this is the way parenting works. This is the way our lives work. And it all works because we look to God. But in Malachi chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, it says, The wife of your youth, your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant, has not the Lord made you one. Do not break faith with the wife of your youth. And so, from this, you know, unity with God is, is demanding, demanded if we want unity. We, we will not have unity with each other if we don't have unity with God. Which means we've got to have a close walk with God. And you, you don't need another lesson on clock time right now. You know what it means to really walk with God. But also, he mentions here in Malachi, and it's mentioned several places in the Bible, our marriage is a covenant. It is a covenant relationship with God. And that gives us obligations and things that God expects from us because we have covenanted together our relationship before God. Okay, secondly, um, we want to choose to be each other's safe haven, safe place. And I want to recommend a book um, that we'll talk about more, but it's called How to Argue with Your Spouse, or How to Argue So Your Spouse Will Listen. Uh, and it's by Sharon Morris May. How to Argue So Your Spouse Will Listen. But in that, she talks a lot about this safe haven, and we've talked a lot about a safe place. But you realize you're choosing whether your relationship is a safe place for your spouse or not. But you yourself can't determine that for the other one. And it takes a, a realization of what a special relationship this is to be. That it's like no other physical relationship. It's like Here's no other. You know, this, is, this is, our relationship is like no other. It is first and foremost in our physical relationships above kids, above family, above friends, above anyone else except God. And with God first, and then each other next. Um, but how do we show that? And do we feel like we're number one with each other? I think that that often is the test. That it, it doesn't feel like you care about me. I said Al has, has been able to make me feel like he'd rather be with me than anyone else, and so he doesn't have to be with me all the time because he he makes me feel like that I'm number one with him, and I hope he feels that with me. But um, it takes time and energy to make a marriage great. They, a marriage doesn't just happen that way. And you have to be able to invest the time in each other, but also invest the time in looking at what you need to grow in and what you need to change and how you can make the marriage better. And then I'm more convinced than ever that these little daily choices that we make in our relationship are just key to having a great marriage. And I'm talking about daily choices about the way you treat each other. Um, the daily little habits that you have. And, um, you know, the, the writer of this book said a lot about it, and it was really interesting to me to hear somebody that 
I don't even know, say something about some of the things that I believe have made the difference for our relationship over the 50 years. And one of them has been what we call the spiritual glue of our marriage, our decision to pray together every day. Um, without anybody telling us we had to do that, we wanted to do that. And it has made such a difference in the lasting um, bond that we feel spiritually and emotionally and every which way. Not that it's always a mountaintop kind of thing, and we're talking about short amounts of time. Our kissing each other goodbye and love when we come and go. We don't just leave the house and slam the door and off we go. Um, just things like that. We kiss after we pray. Um, those are little things. We still like to hold hands 50 years later. And you know, I don't know what you do in your marriage, but if there aren't some special little understood things between the two of you, you're not going to have a very safe haven. You're not going to have a marriage that really keeps sparkling as your years go by. Um, it's so, so important to work on an emotional connection between the two of you and recognizing that you're both different, but to, to listen, to care about each other, to be sensitive to one another. Um, it takes that time and energy to do that, but it's so important. There's three words that are so important that we all want. We want to be heard, understood, and valued. And uh, this is something that Dave was talking about with our children. And really these principles apply whether it's uh, in marriage or with our children or in our relationships with one another. We as human beings need these things, but how much we need to give that to each other. Now let's move on to really the meat of what we want to talk about today, and that is choosing to fight fairly. And in, in one sense, it sounds like, you, I mean, surely you can't say it's okay to fight. You know what? There's no such thing as a marriage without fighting. It just doesn't exist. Uh, I mean, if, if, you, if you don't fight with each other, one of you is dead. <laughs> now, we'll get around to what we mean by fighting. But what we mean is there are things because we are different people that we don't agree on. And therefore, we have conflict together. And if you've been around us in our newlywed class or been around any of our classes, you know that we, several years ago, we came up with what we called the Ten Commandments of Fighting Fair. And uh, we, we did that mainly through the school of hard knocks, through the things that we learned to do and not to do uh, in, in, in terms of fighting fairly, so that you don't do damage together. Now, I had to put in this picture because we were together. Uh, our whole family was together uh, in, in uh, San Diego over the holidays. Uh, we get together once a year, and we always try to have our family picture night. Uh, but uh, in terms of fighting fairly, this is the best picture I could come up with in terms of fighting. So... Uh, <laughs> If that's as bad as fighting ever gets, you're all right, you know. Um, but uh, we're going to go through these, what we call the Ten Commandments of Fighting Fairly. For some of you, you may have heard them before. Uh, uh, but, you know, you still need to apply them. Because I don't, we, we don't, we, we put them together years ago, we still don't do them perfectly. There's things that we still need to work on. First one, 
I am at fault. The percent doesn't matter. You know, Gloria and I have done a lot of marriage counseling through the years. We have never, ever had a couple come to us that 100% was all one person's fault. At the bottom of the day, end of the day, there was fault on both sides. And if both sides could see I have fault, it was a whole lot simpler to resolve. And so if both of you can be humble enough to go into resolving to say, you know, when, when this is all over with, there are going to be some things that I'm going to have to own. It, it's not a matter of you're all at fault and I'm all right, and if you just shape up, we'd be all right. And so this is a very important point of going into resolving conflict. We both are going to come out of this with some things to own, some things that we need to change. And secondly, be more concerned with doing right than in being right. Bottom line, there is never a winner in an argument. It's either win-win or lose-lose. You cannot say, I won and you lost. You know, anytime I feel like I won and she lost, I lost. And I'm going to pay the penalty for it. Uh, and, and, and so we, we need to be more concerned with doing right than in being right. And again, this comes back to humility. I, I've got to be looking for what is really right, not trying to argue what I think is right and of the reasons that I'm right. Um, the next point, don't use logic at emotional times. And, uh, you know, this is, this is something men usually want to fix something and the women want to talk about it, and we don't want our men to fix it too fast. Um, they can tell us all the different reasons. But really, the thing that I want to mention, and it, uh, this has really opened up my eyes um, reading the book that I mentioned, but it's right along the lines of what Dave was talking about. And um, the, the wife, when you stop and think about our fights, and how quickly something can spark something. Very often, even what we fight about is not what we fight about. Because some word or something sets you off. And really what happens is that the emotional side of your brain, which was that limbic system, that, that elephant, um, gets to going really fast. And it's quicker than the thinking side of your brain is. And um, when that happens then you, whoever's emotions have gotten high, you're not able to really think and see and hear things in a logical way. Your emotions have kicked in and buttons have gotten pushed, many of them from the past, sometimes maybe not even having anything to do with your mate. And if you can, can learn to catch yourself in some of these emotional times, and recognize that you can that you have some control over them and that you can talk through these things and try to understand what the triggers are and why, then you can help each other. And but we've all got to be learn to be responsible with our own actions. And um, I think again I would really encourage you to read the book because it, it gives some real tools about how to do this. Yeah. 
I'm, a, you know, I'm not known for being an emotional person. Uh, well, I'm known for being emotional, not in touch with my emotions. Uh, but one of the things that I've recently learned, uh, along with the things that Dave is saying and, and the book that we just read and so forth, is the emotion, the, the signal to that part of the brain of the emotions travels twice as fast as to the logical part of the brain. And there are times that, that I have repeated patterns in reacting to Gloria that I don't understand and that my reaction is usually a reaction of anger. And, and, and I, I have to think, will I ever, will I ever change this? Will I ever get, well, it helps me to understand the, 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 the emotional part is triggered faster than the logical part. And so I've got to figure out a way to build a defense network because the odds are stacked against me if I don't do that. But it helps me to understand my emotions are going to take over if I don't do something. And, 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 and in doing that, I've, I've got to figure that out in, in, in this way. And see, this is what we're talking about, about learning to help each other. Because if both of us will take responsibility for that, then I can't fix his side of it, but I can fix mine. And I can work on what I do. And one of the, one of the patterns that we've had is when I sense the anger, my emotions would go up, and I would, I would run from that. I would shut down. And I would blame him for years for shutting me down. And guess what? That didn't get us very far. And so when I finally learned to take responsibility, you know, he didn't ever tell me to shut up or put, my, put his hand over my mouth. I chose to do that. And when I started taking responsibility for that and getting my emotions in check and, and learning to talk through what I was feeling, then that helped us to deal with that emotional side more. We still, after 50 years, have that pattern that we have to watch. We know it, we handle it better, but the triggers are still there. And that's what, it's so, so important to be willing to assume responsibility for this. We'll talk more about that. Then the fourth thing is assume and express love. This is why that safe haven that I said choose to be a safe haven for each other. Um, you know, when our emotions kick in, isn't it easy to feel like your enemies? You so quickly can can forget that you really care about each other. And we found, Al uh, uses the term, define the boxing ring. And what we mean by that is say, this doesn't have anything to do with our love for each other. We love each other. We're committed to each other. We're just, we might be mad right now, but we're going to work through this. We're, this isn't about our love for each other. And there's something in that that secures you and, and helps you. And if we can remember to think better of each other instead of just so quickly thinking the worst. And I think that we, we can, uh, this is where, I, again, our emotions come in. And, you know, Dave was talking about the part that stores the memory. Just like he mentioned, um, okay, we're going back and then, then we think discipling and all that. Boy, does that happen in our marriage. We hear a word. And, it, and, and something triggers it, and all the feelings and all the emotions go back, and we, we go back to where it was 10 years ago, maybe. And if we can remember that we've come a long way, we're not the same. God is working in our marriage. Think the best. We love each other. Define that boxing ring. 
assume love and express love, it makes so much difference. And number five is have a forbidden word list that both of you agree on. There's a general set of words that are just not good to use, like never, like always. I mean, what happens, do you think, to Gloria, if I say, you never fix a meal without burning it? What, what, what does her mind start doing? Starts thinking of an exception, right? It's not productive. It doesn't lead anywhere good. Words like always. They're always bad. That's a double negative there. I mean, always is always bad and used in that context. But then for you, there are certain words that are hurtful that you need to get and say, we are not going to use, when we're angry, we're not going to use those words with each other. It may be hate, it may be stupid, it may be a word like divorce. One of the things that we counsel couples on in pre-marriage counseling is you need to talk a lot about divorce before you get married. And after you're married, you never use the word again. You never use it when you're angry, it's not an option in your marriage. Whatever, get rid of that word because... You know, sometimes in anger we'll say, I don't know why I married you, our marriage is not good, maybe we just ought to get a divorce. Those are always destructive things, always. Uh, And so, learn what words are hurtful to the two of you and agree that when we're angry, we will not use those words. Those are forbidden words to use when we're angry with one another. And of course, another shouldn't, we shouldn't even have to say this, but unfortunately, it happens too much. There should be no physical contact when you're angry in this sense. No hitting, no pushing, whatever. Yeah. That's just no yelling at one another. You know, basically, you should be able to have an argument that your kids could listen to and you wouldn't be embarrassed. Just, just test that one out. Now, you don't want your kids to see it. You don't invite your kids in when you have an argument. But what I'm saying, you should be able to fight in such a way that the disciple could be there watching it and you wouldn't have to go apologize for what you said or what you did or for your anger or whatever in that way. And then next, do not argue about who said what. That is not useful. To go back and say, well, you said so-and-so, I did not say that. That is not useful at all. It does not lead to a good conclusion. Because even if you play back a tape recording of what was said to prove your case, you could still say, well, that's not what I meant. (laughs) You you, you didn't understand what what I meant by that. I mean, it's not useful to argue about who said what. Here's here's one of the hardest things about fighting fairly is this one statement. But if you put this statement to work in your marriage, it will make a huge difference in your marriage. Take responsibility for what he or she heard you say, not for what you think you said. Because all that really matters is what Gloria 
heard me say. I, I can say, well, I didn't mean to say that, whatever. It really doesn't count anything, does it? If she heard that, that's what I have to own. And I can't say, well, it's your problem you heard it that way. I've got to take responsibility. Somewhere in my communication, I left that impression with her, and I've got to own it. And I've got to figure out how I can avoid going there and apologize for that. Uh, the next one is a hard one. First, understand, and then seek to be understood. Um, this is one that we have to struggle with. I, I think as many times as we've taught, taught this, that I always come back and I think that's the root of that. That happens often when, it's, when we're in a, a conflict, that I want him to understand me and he wants me to understand him. And as long as we're on that level, guess what? Neither one of us are really listening to the other. So this takes a mutual caring, a mutual respect of each other, and then really caring more about what the other one is feeling than you are caring about getting a point, your point across. And it goes back to the win-win rather than I want you to understand so I win in this. It's, it's we, we've got to listen to each other. And that listening really is the kind of listening that Dave was talking about with our kids. It's really caring about what somebody's saying and, and not interrupting, not telling them what they think and say and feel, um, but ask questions, be responsive with just simple things like, hmm, or oh, um, wow. I mean, it doesn't take a lot to let somebody know that you're, you're with them. Um, just to show that attention and express understanding. That understanding word is huge. Um, it will settle the emotion so many times when, with your kids as well. If you can say, I can understand how you might have felt that way. That's what Dave was talking about, about remembering some of your own kinds of things. And then also the, the um, next one is to use I words, not you words. And that's exactly what Dave was saying with the kids. Don't, you know, you talk from yourself. If, if you start saying the you word, then you're, you're going after your mate, you're accusing. It's, it's easy to do the always and never. But if you say, can I tell you how I heard that? Or when, when this happened, I felt this way. Um, and even to give, ask in a question, can I tell you how that makes me feel when this happens? Um, and, and then, this is how I heard it. Do you want me, is that what you wanted me to hear? And if they say no, be willing to listen to what they intended. So again, it, it takes so much of the uh, accusation time out of it. But we have to not act in our emotions to do these things because our emotions take us in the other direction. Number nine, learn to use timeouts. You know, when things are not going in a good direction and, and things are just escalating, that's the time you really need to say, you know, I just need to go have some prayer time. I need to walk around the block. Now, this typically will not work if the two of you have not already agreed in, in non-fighting times we're, we're going to implement timeouts. Because 
A lot of times, in a, time, in, in a situation when things are going hot and heavy there, and, and you say, I just need a time out. The other one is saying, oh, no, you don't. <laughs> We're going to finish this thing. <laughs> and, and so you've already got to agree that, and, and also, use a timeout and say, you know what, you're getting out of control. You need a timeout. That won't work either. That, that's the you word. I need a timeout. You know, I, I, I just need to go spend some time with God. And uh, now, one of the greatest fears with this, because this has happened a lot of times in marriages, the, the fear that if you leave, you'll never come back in terms of the argument. It, in other words, it's just a way to avoid conflict. And so you've got to agree. One of the parts of a timeout is that, okay, I need a timeout. I will be back in X amount of time so we can talk again. It may be an hour. It may be the next day. Whatever. But, you know, one of the sad things in marriage is that more than 80% of conflicts never get resolved. And guess what happened? happens with unresolved conflicts? Every time you have a new one, what happens? It gets piled up on the other, and you get all these reactions after a while you don't understand because they're in no way in proportion to what just happened. And so we've got to learn that when we have a conflict, it needs to be brought to a conclusion. And uh, without doing that, we're not successfully fighting fair. Unresolved conflict is always a dangerous thing. And then um, along with the, the last thing is, and this is the final part of an argument, ask for and give forgiveness. You know, it's not over until this happens. Until both of you can get to the point and say, okay, this is my part, I see it, will you forgive me? I was wrong in doing this, and I was wrong in saying this, will you forgive me? Yes, I will forgive you. And then the other one also owning their part. It's got to be a two-way thing. Even if you were only 5% at fault, you need to own your 5%. And, and by owning it, I don't mean to say, well, it's clear that I was only 5% at fault. Yeah, I, I was wrong there. Will you forgive me? <laughs> That's not the spirit we're talking about here. I mean, if you're wrong, you're wrong, period. It's not a matter of who, whose sins weigh the most here. But it needs to end with truly asking for and giving forgiveness. And it's not over until that time. And lastly, then, um, we want to choose to live a purpose-filled life together. Um, you know, having a great marriage is wonderful for us, but God wants us to really be a light to the world. He wants our marriage, He wants our family to be something that can be used by God to draw other people to Him. And I would say, at this time in our, in our world, Christian marriage should be the brightest light around because um, marriage in the world is not bright and beautiful. And it's so twisted, and our families are so messed up. So what a call, an upward call for us to really let God shine through us and then use that to draw others to Him, where we bring people into our homes, where our families can glorify Him, and we can influence our children and grandchildren to want to have great marriages too. And in closing, then, there's just a few things that I want to summarize here. 
Uh, one is, is we said it earlier, but I, I hope you wrote down these three things. Uh, because I think they're really profound things in terms of our communication with each other, especially in our disagreements, is that both of us need, number one, to be heard, and secondly, we need to be understood, and thirdly, we need to be valued. And, and we, we need to feel that. In, in our communication with each other, I need to feel that Gloria has heard me and wants to hear me but I need to feel that she has understood what I'm trying to communicate. Now, this we also can get in trouble because understanding does not mean agreement. Just because you understand what your mate's trying to say doesn't mean that you necessarily agree with them. It's all right to disagree. But it, it's, it's very important that we hear, we understand, and that we make the other partner feel valued in our relationship. So in closing then, the joys of a marriage should get better and better. I can honestly say after 50 years, we are having the most fun of our life. We are most in love, but I think this shouldn't be unusual. However long you've been married, it should be at the best point of your life, and you should expect it to only get better. And then you determine the outcome. This is one of the great things I think about marriage, the way that God has built us. He's given us the power to make the choice of what kind of marriage we want to have. We talked about this is about choices. It's about decisions we make. But if we make godly decisions, then our marriage will be better and we can decide the outcome of our marriage. And it's never too late to start. I don't know what the state of your marriage is today. It may not be all that great. It's never too late to start. Now, one of the things that always is a concern of what if I have a mate who's a non-Christian or is not trying to follow God's will or whatever, am I just stuck? And the answer to that is no. It's not going to go as well as if both of you were working at it, but still, if just you do your part, your marriage can still be a good marriage. And then finally... Having a great marriage is not an end in itself. This whole thing about marriage and having a great marriage, God, God didn't just give us a marriage so that we can just have a great marriage. And that's, that's the whole goal. God gave us a marriage so that together we can be servants useful to God. And He can do great things through us. I really believe the power we have in, in South Bay, in the West, in, in, in Long Beach and so forth, in our marriage, are absolutely incredible. If, if we get it on track and let God use us with our great marriages, being a light to the world, and being the joy for our kids and, yes, eventually to our grandkids. Thank you, guys. It's great being with you.